One of Montgomery County's most perplexing unsolved mysteries is the 1932 death of Samuel Forty, whose battered body was found hanging in the washroom of the Warner Foundry in Lansdale, where he worked as a night watchman. At various times, authorities believed that Forty's death was the result of suicide, an attack by a burglar, revenge by a jealous lover, and, perhaps strangest of all, a shadowy religious cult. It was February 18th of 1932 when Forty, a 45-year-old father of 10, was found hanging from an improvised gallow in the foundry washroom. He had been bound hand and foot, suspended from a plank sitting across two lockers. Strips of rags, cut from the lining of a man's coat, were used to tie his hands behind his back, while a leather belt had been used to bind the feet. Based upon the victim's injuries, it appeared that Forty had been struck viciously and repeatedly about the face and body while he gasped in the throes of strangulation. After making his preliminary investigation, Chief of Police Samuel Woffington proposed a most unusual theory, that Samuel Forty was a member of a secret religious cult and had been murdered because he wished to resign from its ranks. According to Woffington, the night watchman, along with five other men and one woman, belonged to a secret cult which held services every Sunday morning and twice during the week. Woffenden believed that Forty wanted to leave the cult and that the remaining members, fearing exposure, had slain Forty in order to protect their own identities. Woffenden based his opinion largely on a fact that a Bible, written in Italian, was missing from Forty's locker. He believed that the inner secrets of the cult were contained in the missing book. Josephine Forty, the dead man's widow, indicated that she knew about her husband's involvement with the secret religious order, but didn't know much about the cult itself. As far as she knew, Samuel had no enemies. Harry Long, foreman of the foundry, told police that Forty had appeared highly agitated in the days leading up to his death. He was afraid to set foot outside after dark, and spent his breaks inside the foundry locker room. It was there, while Forty was eating a sandwich, that he'd been struck over the head with a blunt instrument, trussed up, and suspended from the makeshift gallows. Long stated that nothing appeared to have been disturbed or stolen, which seemed to eliminate the possibility that the night watchman had been killed by a burglar. It was Long who had discovered the body shortly after 7 a.m. The coroner was summoned to the scene, and an autopsy performed by Dr. John Simpson showed that the watchman's death had been caused by strangulation. Others, however, clung to the theory that Forty had been killed during a botched robbery attempt. William Herman, a foundry employee, stated that someone had attempted to enter the foundry three times during the previous week. Samuel Forty had thwarted the break-in attempts each time, but on the night of his death, all the foundry windows were unlocked. Herman, who had witnessed one of the break-in attempts, told police that the man who tried to gain entry was tall, thin, and middle-aged. This man, claimed Herman, came to the foundry three times in one night. During the first attempt, 
the man had told Forty that his wife was sick and needed to use the telephone to call a doctor. After being turned away, the man returned a short while later and tried to convince Forty that his own wife was sick. Once again, Forty barred the stranger from entering. Later that same night, Forty reported seeing a man in high-topped shoes prowling around the grounds with a flashlight. Supervisors investigated the death, and it was determined that the incident was apparently caused by Forty's recently developed habit of locking himself inside the washroom. Apparently, the other foundry employees were tired of having to ask the night watchman to unlock the door every time they wanted to use the bathroom. While it may have seemed odd at the time that Forty had taken to holding himself up inside the washroom, no one had suspected that Samuel Forty might have been trying to hide from something or someone. Meanwhile, Chief of Police Waffenden continued to explore his unusual theory that Forty had been slain by a religious cult. The detective had learned that the Bible was Forty's most prized possession. He took it to work every day. And the fact that it was the only item in the entire foundry that was missing suggested that it may be a key piece of evidence. However, the missing Bible was eventually located by police inside the Forty home. But if the Bible had been stolen from Forty's work locker, how did it find its way back to his house? Waffenden also interviewed three of the suspected cult members, who confirmed the rumor that Forty wanted out of the secret society, which had been formed in Lansdale about seven years earlier. As to the practices and beliefs of the cult, none of the members were allowed to use medicine or visit doctors, and healing by faith was one of the Order's principal beliefs. Waffenden told reporters that arrests would soon be made, although he refused to divulge the identities of anyone associated with the religious sect. But it was soon revealed through local gossip that the head of the cult was a woman by the name of Julia Sassantis. Purveyors of local gossip also hinted that Sassantis and Forty, who were both married, were having an affair. The suspects have been evasive in their answers, and we are having difficulty getting at the facts, stated Waffenden. From what they say, I believe this cult is a national organization. It is possible that somebody may have been imported to do this job. Police searched the dead watchman's home on February 20th and located the supposedly stolen leather-bound Bible, which was one of two such books found inside the house. Both were printed in Italian, and an interpreter was brought onto the case. Unfortunately, the books contained few clues other than the fact that the secret cult went by the name of Chiesa Cristiana delle Fede Apostolica, or Church of Christ of Faith in Apostles. It was learned that there was another branch of the sect in Philadelphia. Samuel Forty's 18-year-old son, Joseph, scoffed at the idea that his father's church was an evil, shadowy cult. They are just like we are, only they don't believe in smoking and gambling and they pray a lot, Joseph told reporters. He also claimed that his father often took medicine and never had mentioned anything about faith healing. I believe whoever murdered dad had a grudge against him or was jealous, he declared. Sonny Forty, 
the Watchman's 16-year-old son, was the last family member to see Samuel Forty alive. He was with his father until 10 o'clock on the night of the murder. Dad wanted me to bring his lunch down to the plant, he said. He was afraid after that man tried to get in. When I went down, he was joking and laughing. He didn't appear to be nervous. I sat with him in the locker room, and he ate part of his lunch with me. He saved the rest for later. Then I came home. Could it have been Sonny Forty who took his father's Italian Bible and brought it home? This detail remains unclear, but Sonny did state that he had gone to the foundry every night of the week leading up to the murder, out of concern for his father's safety. Sonny maintained that his father knew that he was in danger. One evening, just days before his death, he came home and asked if any strangers had been lurking about. When Josephine wanted to know why, her husband told her not to worry and changed the subject. Based upon the statements made by Sonny Forty and Foundry employee William Herman, Chief of Police Waffenden concentrated his focus on the man in the high-topped shoes who had tried to persuade Samuel Forty to let him use the telephone. This man, believed Waffenden, had to have been the same tall, thin, middle-aged man who was skulking around the foundry grounds with a flashlight shortly before Forty's death. Although the dead man's Bible failed to yield any important clues, the same could not be said for the rope that had been tied around Forty's neck. Waffenden, who believed that Forty was already dead before he was trussed and hanged, observed that the noose had been tied using a lock knot which is chiefly used by sailors. He wondered if the killer might have been in the Navy at one time. He also wondered about the motive. Killing a man merely because he wanted to leave a religious sect hardly seemed motivation enough to take such a risk. Waffenden began to wonder if perhaps there was another woman involved. He began to shift his focus to the love triangle theory. He soon discovered that Shortly before Forty's death, the meeting place of the cult was changed to the home of another member. This change was made because of an undercurrent of jealousy between one of the other cult members and Forty. Waffenden also learned that Josephine Forty had not been happy that her husband was visiting the home of this cult member several times each week. Apparently, Samuel Forty's relationship to this female cult member had been the cause of several heated arguments. On Saturday, February 20th, Waffenden made a bold announcement. He knew the identity of the killer and promised that an arrest would soon be made. This, of course, was an old ploy used by law enforcement. If the real culprit was confident that police were following the wrong trail, he might become careless and let down his guard. On the other hand, if the culprit was fearful that the long arm of the law was closing in for the kill, he might get nervous and do something reckless. Most of the time, when a detective says that he knows the identity of the killer, he's merely bluffing in an attempt to flush out the game. So, would Chief of Police Waffenden's gambit work? With ten children to look after, Josephine Forty found herself in a dire situation, and her salvation rested not upon the shoulders of Samuel Waffenden, but of a man named T. Duncan Just.
T.D. Just held the position of referee for the State Compensation Board. In early August, he was slated to hear the case of the watchman's widow. If Forty had died by his own hand, as difficult as that may be to believe, then compensation would be denied. However, if Forty had died while in the performance of his job, the widow would be allowed to collect benefits. Quite simply, it would all come down to the exact manner in which Forty met his demise. Evidently, Waffenden's gambit failed. When the killer failed to tip his hand, the coroner's jury had no alternative but to render an open verdict, meaning that the true nature of Forty's death could not be stated with certainty. On Thursday, February 25th, the coroner's jury met at Norristown, and the proceedings resulted in a butting of heads between local officials. The county prosecutor, Stuart Nace, bashed Waffenden for his tactics and his unusual theories about secret cults and bizarre love triangles. Chief of Police Waffenden, however, held his ground and insisted that Forty had clearly been murdered. State Police Sergeant Earl Hans and County Detective James G. Gleason, on the other hand, claimed that Forty had taken his own life, though they could not explain just how the victim managed to sustain his other injuries. After ninety heated minutes, the jury rendered its decision. Samuel Forty came to his death by strangulation with a rope in a manner unknown. For the widow, Josephine, this had to have come as a devastating blow, as it did little to help her case with the state compensation board. On August 19th, referee T. Duncan Just declared that it was his fervent belief that Samuel Forty had been murdered, and he called the coroner jury's decision farcical. But this was cold comfort for Josephine, because Just could not find any evidence that Forty had been killed while actually on the job. If he had been any place other than in the washroom eating his lunch, Just could have awarded the widow compensation. But because Forty was off the clock at the time of his death, it could not be said that he met his demise while in a performance of his duties as night watchman. Although referee Just's ruling dealt a harsh blow to the surviving members of the Forty family, it gave Waffenden the encouragement he needed to pursue the matter of bringing the watchman's killer to justice, even if he no longer had the support of the state police and a county prosecutor. Waffenden vowed that he would continue to run down leads, even if he had to go it alone. County officials, however, clung to their opinion that Forty had committed suicide. By spring of the following year, Waffenden had managed to dig up precious little in the way of any new evidence. On May 3rd, the watchman's widow appealed the Workmen's Compensation Board ruling, claiming that new evidence supported her claim that her husband had been murdered. According to the petition filed by the widow's attorney, H.I. Fox, one of forty sons had seen boxes stacked beneath a window outside the foundry on the day of the murder, which could have explained how the killer entered the plan. Christopher Torsivia, one of forty's co-workers, claimed that he had observed an altercation between a watchman and an unknown visitor a week before his death. However, because the evidence against the suicide theory was circumstantial, the official record did not change. Chief of Police Samuel Waffenden, meanwhile, was bogged down in his own problems. He had recently been re-elected to the Montgomery County Police Chiefs Association as Vice President, 
and was instrumental in spearheading a highly controversial campaign opposing a bill before the state legislature, mandating that police officers provide a suspect an opportunity to obtain legal counsel before being questioned. One year later, Waffenden was attacked by a violently insane man, and his life was saved when Officer Charles O'Hara fired a canister of tear gas at the assailant. Ironically, Waffenden was forced to resign three years later, when the same officer who saved his life brought a charge of intimidation against him. Two of the borough's three police officers resigned in protest, leaving O'Hara as the sole policeman in Lansdale. Although the mayor reinstated Waffenden the following day, the backlog of cases resulted in the death of Samuel Forty being forever labeled an unsolved mystery. If you enjoyed this podcast, look for my latest book, Pennsylvania Oddities, Volume 2, available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart.com, or through the Sunbury Press website at www.sunburypressstore.com. The Pennsylvania Oddities podcast is written, produced, and narrated by Marlon Bressy. Theme music composed by Marlon Bressy. Sound effects courtesy of freesound.org. Find the Pennsylvania Oddities podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you find your favorite programs. New episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month. Okay.